Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So one of, it, one of our great privileges here at the table, uh, as young as we are of a church, is to have uh, seminary students be able to come and um, preach uh, a main task that, um, Lord willing, they will have one day in their ministry as well, and to be able to be a place where they can grow and develop in that. Um, if you didn't know, Kenan is a seminary student. Um, he is in, in what, gradu- in, into his second year. Um, and so we took a class on Hebrews earlier together uh, this summer. And for his class, thankfully not, um, I don't have to do this. Uh, I, get to, I get to do it, I guess, actually. Uh, but he is required to preach sermons um, beca- uh, for credit in the class. And so he is uh, preaching this week, and he's preaching in a few weeks as well. And so we're grateful for him to be able to be here, to be able to do this. We're thankful for that you get to have the privilege of sharing God's Word with us. So um, thank you, Kenan. So... Um, Robert Robinson was a man who grew up in 18th century England. And uh, when he was eight years old, he lost his father, which was probably one of the contributing factors that led to him leaving, um, leaving his small English town to move to London, where he joined a gang soon after. But his troublemaking ways came to an end one day, when he decided to bring his friends to see a traveling evangelist and heckle him. But he chose the wrong traveling preacher because this was George Whitefield, uh, who would later become a leader of the Great Awakening Revival and found the Methodist Church. Robert was led to repentance that day by that sermon, which led him to write the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. One of the most popular lines from that song comes near the end. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And although although Robinson was aware that he was prone to wander, he was not able to prevent it, sadly. Um, So after years of ministering for the Lord, he found his faith lacking, um, and he felt distant to the God he loved. So when we hear stories like this, um, we're reminded of the modern Christians who have left the faith as well. There's a movement right now um, called exvangelicalism, where a lot of people are leaving the faith. Uh, Many leave the faith without any kind of deconstruction at all. And it leaves Christians like us questioning, what is the common denominator? between all of these people? What leads people to leave the God they love, to leave the faith, to leave the church? 
and what can we do to prevent it in our lives? The author of the book of the Hebrews has the same concern for his audience. Uh, we see in this passage today that it seems that he is worried about their weakening of the faith. Um, and so he offers advice to them. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Let's read that first verse again. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the author shows that he is concerned about the Hebrews drifting from the faith. And to illustrate this, he uses a nautical metaphor. Obviously, drifting has the idea of a boat drifting from the harbor. But the word pay attention is also a nautical word. Um, it was also used to mean a boat that had been anchored to a harbor. So what the author is saying is like boats, in order to be kept from drifting, we need to be anchored to something. In this context, that anchor is the message that we have heard. And this metaphor also implies that leaving the faith is not a split-moment decision. It is a long and slow process to leave the faith. So when we search the book of Hebrews for a reason why the author might be concerned about them leaving the faith, the main theory that surfaces is that they are worried. I mean, they are considering a move back to Judaism. The reason for that is that we look at the book of Hebrews, and much of it is about how the Old Testament was all leading to Jesus Christ. And so now that Jesus Christ has come, the Old Testament has been fulfilled. But if the audience is indeed Jewish, we need to remember that their families were Jewish, their communities were Jewish, their mentors were Jewish. And not all of those people had converted to Christianity with them. So the temptation was strong to fit in with their families again, to fit in with their culture again. And when we think about our feelings of distance with God at certain times in our lives, it's sometimes for similar reasons. Because culture is a very strong Thing. And the culture in the U.S. is not one that leads us to Christ. So, you know, the factors can be maybe your family discouraging your walk with Christ or culture kind of criticizing the beliefs of Christians. I brought some feathers because feathers are pretty cool. I looked up cool feather facts yesterday, um, and I learned that some birds have bones that are lighter than their feathers, which is kind of cool. Another cool feather fact is that in a vacuum chamber, feathers fall 32 feet per second, which is true of every object, of course. <laughs> but it's harder to imagine with feathers because feathers are objects that are infamous for being subject to wind resistance, to any kind of wind. So if I were to hold the feather without holding onto it, even the slightest breath will blow it away. 
And the same is true of our faith. If we don't have it tethered to anything, it can easily be blown away. And that's what the author is trying to tell us. And for him, for our author, the message that we have heard can be that tether. So what is that message? Well, let's keep reading. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the author here is drawing a comparison between the message brought by angels, which I have represented by my dad's Hebrew Bible, and the message brought by the Son, which is represented by the Greek New Testament of my dad as well. <laughs> so this comparison points us back to chapter 1, if you remember, where it was, we were told that God sent his Son as the ultimate messenger, and that that Son is superior to the angels. And so we're told... If Jesus is superior to the angels, then his message is superior to their message as well. But notice, the law is not depicted as a bad thing. The law is reliable and just. But the covenant of the Son is even better. And the author says, if the law was good and it was punished justly, so will be the covenant of the Son. So, we're left with the question, how will we escape this punishment? And that question is answered in the rest of the passage. So let's finish this out. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, if you want to avoid drifting in the faith, you need to pay attention to the message of salvation. And the audience is told, is reminded of how they receive the message of salvation. The Lord is the originator, but they heard from people who had witnessed Jesus' ministry. And although they did not have that eyewitness testimony, they could, tr sorry, although they did not get to see Jesus themselves, they had an eyewitness testimony that they could trust. And if that was not trustworthy enough, the author tells us that God himself testifies to this witness. It says that the miracles that people were performing in God's name were testimony by God to the message of salvation, that it was true. And the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are singled out as a type of miracle that we can see at work when we come together in worship. So notice here, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son are all working together to bring the message of salvation and testify to it and put it in the hearts of the people. The Hebrews had the entire triune God testifying and working for their salvation. And so that's what they had that they could hold on to. That's the message that they had received that they needed to pay attention to because if they held on to that, they would not have trouble with their faith. But the question remains, what about us? We have not received an eyewitness testimony. Our testimony comes from 2,000 years of distance. 
And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a blind man healed. I've never seen a paralyzed man walk. I've never seen a dead man raised. I wish that the miracles that we see in the New Testament would happen in my life so that I would have no trouble believing in God. And we do have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we're left wondering, is that more than just natural talent within the church? What, how are we going to hold fast to the message of salvation if we don't have those things to hold on to? One of the most powerful and emotional stories of all time is Shrek 2. <laughs> Shrek 2 is one of my favorite childhood movies. And if you haven't seen it, I would recommend seeing the first and the second one. Three, four, you can skip those. But Shrek 2 is really the highlight. And the best scene in Shrek 2 comes near the end. When Shrek is rushing on horseback to the castle to prevent the princess from falling in love with the wrong man. And the wrong man here is the son of our main antagonist, the fairy godmother, who wants to rule the kingdom by having her son marry the princess, you know, kind of making her the puppet master, if you will. And so Shrek is rushing back to the castle on horseback. The fairy godmother's goons are trying to stop him, but he thwarts all their efforts. And this epic scene is accompanied by an even more epic song, Holding Out for a Hero, originally written by Bonnie Tyler for Footloose for that one weird tractor scene that's like way too intense. <laughs> and my heart is always caught right up in that scene in Shrek 2. I'm always enraptured because I'm holding out for the hero at the end of the night. But if I were to take myself out of the story for a second, I would realize that there's not really any tension here because I'm watching a blockbuster movie. And it would not be a blockbuster movie if Shrek got to the castle too late and had failed. The writers would have lost a ton of money. Obviously, Shrek is going to save the day. But when we think about real life, we sometimes wish that we had that blockbuster guarantee. Because in real life, the good guy doesn't always win. The princess doesn't always get saved. So should we really hold out for a savior at the end of the night? What guarantee do we have that our faith is going to result in anything? How do we hold fast to our faith when it seems like we have so little to hold on to? While we may not have as flashy of testimonies as the early church, we do have God's work in our lives. And so my message to you is that we need to hold fast to God's work of salvation in our lives. I read a class for my, I, sorry, I read a book for my class this month called Preaching as Reminding. And in it, the author talks about the problem of human forgetfulness. And this is a theme in the Bible, too. We see that human forgetfulness is a big problem. Um, it's often betrayed as leading people 
into sin, into apathy, or even idolatry. And so, for an example, let's consider Peter. Peter was one of the few people who had the absolute privilege to see God working and ministering and even be discipled by him in real life, in the flesh, through Jesus Christ. He got to see great sermons. He got to see piercing lessons and parables told. And obviously, he got to see the amazing miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, the raising of the dead man, Lazarus. And Peter, we're also told, was reminded by Jesus many times. Jesus would tell him, I am going to die, and three days later, I am going to rise again. He was that blatantly obvious at times in saying that. But when the time actually came, and Jesus was about to die, Peter denied Jesus, saying three times, I do not know him. And we see in that moment, how, Peter, are you forgetting about the amazing, powerful work of your teacher? It's because human forgetfulness is a powerful force. And we are all prone to forgetfulness. If Peter is, we are. Which is why we need to hold fast to God's work of salvation in our lives. And I believe that starts with holding fast to God's work, in the salva- God's work of salvation in the lives of others. God is a faithful God. Forever he is faithful, forever he is strong. And we can see that faithfulness in any period of history. God the Spirit has thankfully preserved the Bible for us so that we can read every book in there and see how God was faithful to his people very far in the past. And so I would, you know, encourage you guys to read the Bible and see those themes specifically, that God being faithful to his people over and over and over again. We see that in church history as well. You can read the stories of 2,000 years of people with God being faithful, then all the way to the 21st century. And if you need an example that is not remote at all, You can look at the lives of modern Christians. Come to church and hear of God's faithfulness to these people in your community. And take each other out to coffee. Ask the testimonies so that you can hear of God's faithfulness, God's work of salvation in other people's lives. God's character is unchanging. So if God was faithful then, God will be faithful forever. To strengthen my faith, I often reflect on the, of God's work of salvation in my brother Aiden's life. Um, my brother Aiden left the faith a couple of years ago, and um, it's really hard to see God working in his life right now. He, uh, we've prayed for him before. He's the one who's uh, been struggling with a drug addiction and is now on probation for it. But when Aiden was a kid, he felt God calling him to be a missionary in China. I remember one time when um, we were kids that he came up to me in the the early morning and wanted to tell me 
about the dream he had had. And it was a vision where God had showed him a map of China that zoomed in until it came onto a specific city. And he, God did not show the name of the city in the dream, so we rushed to the map in our hallway, and he pointed it out from memory. Xi'an, China. And when I think about Aiden's life now, like I said, it's really hard to see God at work. Having a brother who is not a Christian can be pretty scary, which is why it's really helpful for me to reflect on that vision. Because I know that God was working for salvation in Aiden's life at that time, and I don't believe that he would have received that vision if it didn't have a purpose. So when we need encouragement in our faith, we can reflect on God's faithfulness God's work of salvation in other people's lives. Even more importantly, though, I think that we should reflect on God's work of salvation in your life specifically. Because it's almost funny how easily we forget the important moments in our faith, like Peter. So I urge you, reflect regularly on the time when you first met God, when you gave your life to Christ. Reflect on the time when God the Father answered your prayer. Remember the instance when the Holy Spirit spoke to you in an undeniable way. Because God has worked in our lives, and we can't forget that. If we will hold fast to God's work of salvation, in our lives, we will make it to the end. If we hold out for that hero, we will inherit that salvation that has been promised to us. Holding fast to God's work of salvation in our lives is our work as Christians. But the task is daunting. Even with everything that we do have that can help us hold on, The task is still daunting, which is why God doesn't let us do it alone. Because if we try to hold fast to God, and even if we let go of that responsibility for a time, God holds tighter to us. God's stronger than us. He can hold a lot tighter. So, Jesus' words in John 15 testifies to this. He said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus became human. He died for our sins and rose again so that we could join him again in heaven someday. And we can hold fast to him as our anchor, to Jesus Christ, the author of salvation, who is mighty to save. There once was two strangers 
a man and a woman who were riding together in a stagecoach. The silence was palpable and awkward, maybe kind of like a little bit like right now. <laughs> and so the woman decided that she was going to sing her favorite song. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. After she had finished singing the song, she turned to the man to break the ice and asked him what he thought of the hymn. And he responded, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. She had not realized that she was in the presence of Robert Robinson, the author of her beloved hymn. And as she contemplated his response, she responded, Sir, the streams of mercy are never ceasing. They are still flowing. The Holy Spirit used that chance encounter to bring Robert back to the faith, used his own hymn to bring him back to the faith. Although Robert had drifted away, God had not lost his grip on Robert's life. Christ is your anchor, and he is holding fast to you. That's our hope. That's what we can count on. Because we may be prone to wander, but God is prone to leave the 99 to search for his one lost sheep. So as you go about your week, reflect on God's work of salvation in Robert's life, in this church's life, and in your life. And he will hold you fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. I thank you for all the ways that you have worked for salvation in our lives. God, bring to mind right now the most powerful works that you have done in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Help us to feel your presence. God, we know that you are holding fast to us. We know that you will never let go. You are our anchor. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to turn to you and hold fast to your message of salvation. God, you are our strength. You are our hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.